As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live, small group, cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training, kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway, in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. Welcome to the Rocket Ship Podcast. I'm Michael Saka. I'm Joelle Steiniger. And I'm Matt Goldman. And we're having 20-minute talks with entrepreneurs teaching you how to launch your product into revenue. Check out our book at howtobuildarocketship.com to reserve your launch discount and to download a free chapter. All right, today we talked with Adi Pinar, founder of WooThemes and Public Beta. And he talked with us about his unique approach to launching a completely new venture from scratch and some of the controversial techniques he used in validating his idea. He also opened up with us about finding a more sustainable work-life balance and his plans for the future. Great talk with Adi. You guys are going to love it. So welcome to the Rocket Ship Podcast. We're here with Adi, the founder of WooThemes and Public Beta. Adi, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. 
So tell us, uh, we always ask a little bit about uh, the early days at Woo Themes. Um, what, what gave you the idea? What, what got you started there? Yeah, so, um, so I have to kind of rewind to uh, about 2006. And, uh, you know, I think blogging just kind of, you know, started moving just beyond the kind of early adopters and more and more people started blogging. And I had this notion that, you know, I needed a blog as well. And, um, you know, to do that, I, I decided that instead of trying out a, a free service, I was going to create my own. Um, and um, that's how I kind of got, you know, stuck into WordPress, created my own blog, um, started blogging and actually realized that loads of other people wanted the same thing, um, which eventually kind of led to doing consulting on WordPress. Um, and the combo of that, along with my blog that had gotten traction and, um, you know, later on the kind of those initial early days, um, I started releasing free WordPress themes. Um, and I just realized that there was a gap between the free stuff that I was putting out there um, that people were using and the stuff that I was able to do for clients on a once-off basis where they're actually pay, you know, paying me. Um, so I just had this kind of idea that, you know, I could somehow package all of this custom stuff I was doing for clients um, in a generic kind of, you know, uh, commoditized way um, and actually sell it. So um, I used all the traction on my blog um, and just released, you know, built and released the first product um, in November 2007. So then fast forwarding from there, you worked on WooThemes for several years. And then was it uh, 2012 that you left WooThemes and started on public beta? Uh, so, well, so so what effectively happened, so I started um, working on new ideas um, in February 2013. Um, so, so a year ago now, and, uh, meaning when I say started Working on new ideas, literally just like considering what I was, you know, going to do, the, you know, next. Um, WooThemes at that stage, it kind of reached a stage where, you know, we had a great team. Um, they were running operations. Um, I was CEO at the time, but I didn't feel that I needed to be there, you know, every day. Um, and I personally needed a new challenge. Um, so I officially stepped down as CEO in May of last year um, and started working on public beta, you know, full time shortly after that. And what's public beta? So, um, well, at this stage is nothing, but um, Beta essentially went through two kind of, uh, I wouldn't necessarily call it pivots. I mean, it was always part of a bigger plan. Um, it was more kind of t- tweaks or prioritizations of the roadmap. So initially it started out um, as being an educational resource for, um, for entrepreneurs um, where I wanted to get like an expert in um, who could teach like a real deep dive on like one technique or one skill um, or one trick. So it wouldn't be something generic like marketing, but it's very specific, like, you know, how to do X and Y with Facebook marketing, for example, um, or, you know, how to like really kill email support that it's never, you know, kind of a problem. Um, so what, you know, that, that was the aim. So be a real deep dive and kind of uh, democratize the access to that kind of knowledge that you don't get, um, you know, if you don't know those experts personally. Um, and then we kind of changed. Um, so we always knew that the content was always going to be kind of just a segue into uh, a greater community of entrepreneurs. Um, and, you know, after initially validating the idea around the education, we found out that people actually signed on for the community. So we kind of prioritized that to be, um, you know, more of a, 
um, emotional support group for for entrepreneurs. You know, with with focusing on stuff like accountability and helping, just helping you know entrepreneurs overcome the emotional and mental challenges associated with entrepreneurship. Not necessarily the the tactical stuff um, that we were planning on kind of offering education. You know, for. So you were in a position when you left Wuthemes and started on public beta where. Um, you were really starting this whole new venture from scratch. It was a completely different kind of product, um, but yet you had years in your back pocket of experience getting something off the ground. Um, can you talk a little bit about how you approached your second venture differently than maybe you would have if it had been your first? Yeah. So, um, so one of the things that I, you know, kind of again in talking about the personal challenge uh, that I wanted in terms of working on something new is I always felt that I, you know, over the years with teams, I'd acquired all these, you know, uh, new skills and new techniques that I had exposed myself to, um, you know, just learning you know, from others, um, you know, either by applying it within with teams or just reading about it. Um, and I wanted to kind of use all of that and package it. And that's what I wanted to apply on this new startup journey and see whether I can, you know, do it in a, you know, improve, you know, improved manner. Um, what I actually found though was that I, I literally found the second time harder. It, it felt like knowing where all the kind of you know, potential problems and risks and stuff is in future um, made me, I wouldn't say risk averse, but it made me very, very cautious. Whereas, um, you know, when I started with themes, I was pretty much gung-ho. I mean, I, I knew very little about these things um, and I was literally learning every day. But, you know, with Pali Beta, I, I was constantly reminding myself that there is a supposed kind of best practice way to do it. So, so that was the one angle thereof. Um, but that said though, I mean, there's definitely stuff that I learned, um, you know, about myself. Um, and I think that's where the difference, the tactical stuff kind of, you know, became harder because as I said, I, I knew where the problems were, but I knew myself better. So I knew myself as an entrepreneur. I knew that I needed to look after myself. Um, you know, I, I, I knew I needed to, you know, figure out, you know, whatever kind of work life balance. Um, cause ultimately I needed to be the one that, you know, led the team, led the idea, led the customers, you know, on this new thing. Um, so there's definitely those kinds of things that, you know, helped me, you know, be better within public beta. Um, you know, because I, you know, I had that kind of learning opportunity with Ruthings before. When Rain Wilson realized he had a special gift for talking people to sleep, he had two choices. Construct a massive speaker that would blast his voice to every person in the country or invent a talking pillow. AT&T Business eventually talked him into the pillow thing. And backed by a reliable network, the only network with built-in security controls, Sleep With Rain was a hit. Take your ideas to the moon and beyond at business.att.com. That's business.att.com. That's really interesting. Um, and I think from the outside, something that um, I noticed when you did launch with public beta is that um, you got it out there soon um, before it was actually even ready. And one of the bigger mistakes that um, Matt and I made our first time around was that we spent eight or nine months heads down working on a product before we even got it out to anybody. Um, and then that's when the real learning process started. And so to see you um, your second time around, get something out so soon um, was pretty inspiring and, and got us thinking about a lot of things. Um, so I don't know if you want to touch on that a little bit and what your tactics were there. Yeah. So, I mean, I, 
So I, I, like with with themes, I mean, I, I I never knew about kind of you know validation and testing ideas and all those things. I mean, it was literally kind of you know building something my own my own time and um, you know releasing it and and I, you know to an extent I got lucky. I mean, I it's like you know putting money on you know on, on evens or odds and you know the ball falls for you kind of thing. Um, with Pali Beta though, I was very very conscious of like having a. You know, I, I wouldn't say I, I have an infinite budget, but I mean, I, I had obviously made some money with Uthim, so I was less sensitive in, in terms of the financial aspect. And I knew that, um, you know, this could easily become a black hole for me in terms of just kind of spending, you know, so much time, so much energy, you know, and or money, um, you know, chasing this thing. Um, because that wasn't going to be the, you know, the scarcity. Um, so that's why I kind of, you know, wanted to be very, very sure about the idea um, and that people were going to pay me. So, because I'm a bootstrapper at heart, um, not that I wouldn't consider funding, um, but I still I would still apply the kind of bootstrapping mindset. So for me, it was very very important to know that whatever I was going to launch with, um, the people were going to pay for it. So that's why I mean the the initial work um, on websites, um, you know, getting all the just the marketing content together cost me about fifteen hundred dollars. Um, and I, you know, when we launched that and we did it in such a way that when you, you know, when you signed up, you thought that you were you know, signing up and I was actually capturing credit card details, even though I wasn't charging you, um, which meant that I, you know, in, in the first you know, week or two, I captured about $4,000 worth of revenue, meaning just there and then, um, it was profitable and, and, and monthly recurring revenue was something like, I think two, two and a half thousand dollars, um, which obviously, I mean, that, that adds a nice bit of momentum, um, you know, to an idea, knowing that people are willing to pay for it even before you, you know, start, you know, doing growth hacking stuff or, you know, real marketing or whatever. And was that still at the stage when um, it was the education service or had this yeah, already so, moved on to the community that they were paying for? Yeah, so, so, so that's an interesting thing. So at that stage, what I had done is I'd spent a lot of time with um, people within my network, people, entrepreneurs, you know, much more successful than I was. Um, and I got them to kind of volunteer their time to, you know, to, uh, you know, to film a, you know, 20 or 30 minutes, um, video teaching this one thing. So all of the initial time went into that, um, and just building a simple WordPress site. Um, you know, which would kind of, you know, market this content and, and enable people to, to actually sign up. Um, and it was only after. So when we eventually kind of prioritized the roadmap to focus on the kind of community, the emotional support, the accountability stuff was from the people that signed up for the inner education. I started having phone calls, um, you know, with them to, to figure out why they signed up. Uh, because even though we were capturing data, like, um, you know, for which, you know, which course, ultimately you know video course ultimately made them click sign up and stuff i mean all of that stuff was inconclusive and it wasn't until you know we had i think we had about 10 you know 20 calls with 20 different customers um that we really started realizing that you know the community aspect hereof was very important to to the people that had kind of committed to pay us um and um we then followed up those interviews you know with a bigger survey to just you know kind of confirm all of this um, and that's after we got that data back that we decided to, you know, to reject the whole thing and, um, you know, instead focus on, on the community. So what does that look like when you, you have people's credit card info for 
when they signed up for one product and then the product changes, you haven't billed them yet, but did you reach out to them at that point? Did they know when signing up that they weren't going to get charged for a certain amount of time? How did that all look from the customer's perspective? Yeah. So, um, so what happened back then? So you'd sign up and you would essentially get a, a very superficial page saying that you've been added to the queue. Um, and, uh, the interesting thing about the queue, very similar to what Mailbox did when, you know, when they first launched, the only thing is obviously our queue wasn't, you know, down to scaling issues was purely superficial. But the interesting thing for us was, um, we had at that stage, we, uh, we'd acquired about two and a half thousand email addresses. And we do actually the way we registered them was all within our WordPress database. And, um, so when you hit the, the queue, um, it would say something like you are, you know, 2,506 in the queue. So it seemed very, very impressive, but it wasn't. So people knew at that stage that they were in a queue and they'd not been charged. Um, thinking obviously that, you know, within the next couple of days or a week or two, they would be charged. We kind of, went too long. I mean, my decision was not to explain to people what was happening initially. Um, so we waited about a week before reaching out to, you know, to everyone that paid, telling them exactly like, here's the deal. Um, you know, you're not going to get charged right now. We actually still need to build this thing, blah, 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 blah. Um, and the reason for that was, is it, it, the whole kind of, you know, charade would not have worked um if people started tweeting um and saying you know what public beta actually isn't ready i mean then then i wouldn't be able to you know test the, you know and the, well verify and validate my ultimate assumption which was people are willing to give me their credit card details for this um and this is something by the way i mean it's, it's not my idea many other entrepreneurs have done it before um i actually got the idea from from dan martell uh founder of clarity um and as i said so so that's why you know, I, I kind of you know played along for for at least a week before you know being open and honest and transparent, um, you know, with with the customers. And what was the response when you did that from the customers? Yeah, so um, I, I mean, I, we literally had a handful. I mean, when I say a handful, um, it was like four or five customers out of about eighty that um, that were pissed off. Um, you know, they felt cheated. They felt um, you know that. That I made them, you know, do something, you know, on false pretenses, whatever. Um, but the majority were completely understanding, and and, and actually, um, you know, a big part of them, being fellow entrepreneurs, were very appreciative of, you know, of the technique and what it meant for a startup. And I think that's ultimately what it, you know comes down to. I mean, I can totally get that. You know, my if you know if a startup founder kind of did that with my mum as a customer um she'd probably not be happy but i think you know it, it being entrepreneurs um they understood that i needed to kind of mitigate risks um and, and and validate the assumptions i had around the idea yeah yeah i remember reading the hacker news comments which were overwhelmingly negative and it's easy yeah. to, when you see that to think that the response was negative as well but uh I had a feeling that the actual customers who signed up would be pretty understanding. Exactly. I mean, I'd probably say something like, well, that's representative of what Hacker News has become. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, the customers, as I said, 95% of them um, were totally on board, um, you know, very happy with what, you know, with what happened. Um, and they were happy to kind of be patient um, and, and, and just stick along for the ride. So by pursuing this route, you, you were able to pivot and essentially change what the product was in a matter of weeks instead of months because everything was condensed up at the front of the process, right? 
Yeah, I mean, so I mean, we so before we actually even launched the first product, we were already essentially, you know, able to to make that pivot and and and, and optimize. And um, you know, at, at that stage as well, what I can say is uh, we totally worked on a you know kind of well, we did work on our basis, um, but it was a you know no questions asked. So as soon as we had our first version ready of the community, uh, we built everyone and we enabled them to you know, just to opt out for a refund if if it wasn't working out for them. Um, the idea there just was to just at least get them to, to use it for, you know, for a week or two and, you know, try it and force them to try it. Um, I'm curious where you're going to take um, public beta now, um, a few months after all this has, has gone down. Yeah. So, um, so one of the things that, um, that I decided about what I wanted to work on next after group themes was, uh, I wanted to create something that has, you know, the same kind of audience uh, that Woo Themes had, right? So I always knew that I wouldn't be able to take the audience along and I wanted to create something new. So with Polybeta, I had a, I, w- I mean, a, I'd say vague and generic um, vision or passion, which was I wanted to do something that helped other entrepreneurs. And um, Polybeta was always a kind of an umbrella brand in that regard. And that's why... Um, you know, even after pressing pause on Polybeta last year, um, I, I I kept the name. So w- what we actually did is we, I helped some of the community members um, that were willing to lead the community to just take that community elsewhere. And they've actually since, you know, done so successfully. Um, but I kept the name Polybeta because I, I still love the notion as an entrepreneur. I'm, I'm, I'm really publicly in beta, right? So in terms of what's next for Polybeta, um, I'm still officially taking a break right now. Um, there's, I have loads of ideas, you know, in my head and, you know, when and if I, you know, action or execute any one of those ideas, it will definitely be something that supports that passion of, you know, helping other entrepreneurs. I'd love to hear a little bit about, um, as you've kind of hit pause, what you're doing to find that balance and how you're going to approach the next launch uh, in terms of keeping a balance in life work, uh, not, not burning yourself out as a founder. Yeah. So, um, I mean, so for years, I mean, with themes, with themes about a seven year journey for me and, um, my wife and I, you know, we're, we've been together, uh, for about four and a half years now. And, um, just taking the last four and a half years, I mean, it, it, it sounds absolutely ridiculous saying this out loud and I'm not part of this, but, you know, within that four and a half years, I probably spent more time with Woo Themes than I did it with my wife. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I knew at, like at one stage that would need to change. So, you know, when I pressed pause on public beta, um, for the first couple of weeks, I literally did nothing. I would sit in front of my computer. I would click around, I would open tabs, I would close tabs, and I literally did nothing. Um, I didn't necessarily sleep late or any, I, I just did nothing. I didn't necessarily meet friends, I just did nothing. And then, slowly after that, I, I, I started, you know, going to a different extreme, which was, I, I'd go out often, um, I'd spend, I'd do loads of things with my son, uh, loads of things with my wife, um, and it wasn't until about two months into at rest where, you know, I, I actually felt, um, you know, that I can move to, you know, something that resembles balance again. So, so right now, um, you know, I, I wake up early in the morning, 
Um, and I actually do about four or five hours of work, which, you know, mostly comes down to, to writing and, um, and building, you know, an email list, um, at this stage. But it also, you know, it's, I'm, I'm looking at ideas, I'm researching stuff. Um, and I, I still don't necessarily know what balance is. All, all I know is, you know, moving forward. And, and, and this is the caution, um, that I've kind of put in place or the fail safe, which is, I know how I felt at the end of last year when I pressed pause. I know, like, you know, emotionally and I know how my body was reacting to, you know, certain situations, certain interactions, conversations. Um, and whenever I feel, you know, whenever I feel tired, um, today I had one of those days where I was up at, you know, 5 a.m. doing some writing and this afternoon at 3 p.m. I was just tired. I was just, I, I had two meetings and I was just tired and I knew that, like, that's just become a fail safe. Like it, every single time, you know, when I reach a certain point, it feels like I'm regressing and then I just stop and I, you know, I, I didn't try and push myself, um, like I used to do in the past. And I think that's the biggest thing in finding balance in the future is, um, you know, not, I, I don't want to defy those, you know, the, those very physical barriers that my, just my mind and my body imposes on me. No, absolutely. It's, it's great to hear. I think a lot of us, um, are guilty of trying to do too much. And I think for a while we can, uh, but there is that barrier that you hit. So it, it's nice to hear how you're kind of recognizing it and reacting to it. Um, I also loved your, your latest post on startups and I'd, I'd love to hear kind of what advice you're giving, uh, you would give to someone who's starting out to really get started and not just say I'm working on a startup, but actually start creating that startup. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. It's just startups have become such a mainstream, like, almost hipster like thing. I mean, I, you see, you, you see it all over the world. I mean, I, I, I have a good friend, for example, that says he's not a hipster. He's just hipster curious. Um, but that, 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 that's how I feel about startup entrepreneurs and startup founders. I think everyone just wants to say I'm founder of this and that. And, and I actually have a problem you know, with that because uh, I think there's a big distinction of, you know, being a founder of a startup and working on a startup idea. And, I'm not necessarily saying all of that's wrong, um, but I, you know, when I if I go back to you know Woo Themes and the way I started that, um, I, I didn't even know what the fuck a startup was. Like, literally, it wasn't a word that I would use often, um, if at all. Um, you know, any kind of term like growth hacking, bootstrapping, I didn't even know I was doing these things. What I was doing though is. I was building a product that I was passionate about that people were paying me for. And I think in terms of, you know, there might be various different ways of kind of, you know, criteria of saying this and that is a good place to start. I think if you simplify that, if, if you're an entrepreneur um, and you want to create something and you want to work for yourself. I think the key is just simplifying things. Um, you know, going back to the basics, which is, you know, you're creating something of value that something else, you know, somebody else is paying you for. Um, and then you can add different things like, you know, passion. Um, you can focus on the money aspect, all those different things. But I think it's simplifying things. It's not, you know, kind of romanticizing things by calling yourself a founder of a startup, um, you know, before it's that point. I think that's where, and I got stuck. I mean, I can tell you, I, I got stuck with that on public beta where I, I, I literally term it like illusions of grandeur, 
where we were going to like, I started building this thing that I could bootstrap. And then like within a couple of weeks, I got psyched up. We started calling it Runkeeper for Entrepreneurs. And I suddenly wanted to change like, you know, gears and I wanted to, to raise, a, you know, a lot of funding just because I could. And that sucks that I don't think that's what entrepreneurship is about. And I got stuck within like that whole kind of, you know, startup spiel, um, you know, what is expected of me. And I think where I am now is just, Whatever I do next, next is just to go back to just doing something that I enjoy, something um, you know that becomes a product or a service, something that I can sell to other people, something that solves a problem for someone. Um, I think those are the cores of um, you know forms the core of what entrepreneurship is all about. Um, and for me, again, startups is a part of my life and I love it, but it's become more of a vehicle and a mindset um, than a start. Amen. I love that. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on, Adi, and uh, sharing your, your wisdom with us. Um, where can we f- keep up with you and, and find out about what you're going to do next? Yeah. So, um, so I, well, currently I'm like blogging daily. I'm probably switching gears to doing it like weekly. Um, but you can find my writing on, on um, adii.me. Um, or just uh, at ADII on, on Twitter. I, I, I seem to love that thing as well. Um, the best way, though, and I have to promote myself, is sign up to my newsletter. Give me your email address. It's such a vanity metric, but I absolutely love it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and we can find that newsletter on ADII.com? Uh, .me. .me. All right, perfect. Yeah. Awesome. So thank you so much for joining us. And... Uh, We'll catch you next time. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Adi. Thanks. Lost in this time. I'm just trying to get it like a boss in this prime. These fake niggas sublime. Life for fine sights. Wish it were fortune, but the price ain't quite right. The slice ain't quite ripe. Still pulling strings. I fly, but I don't like kites. How they gonna treat Brooklyn's finest? Not as fine as diamonds and fine ice. Surrounded by hard flow like Iceland. Now we get icing. Finance is nice, and I don't like surprises. I like superb prices rising. It's the least I could do. These versus prices rehearsing bright. The reverse of Ireland. She cursed and silent Got a problem solving All my pro solids We all gon' dine Until then we marvin So don't push me uh, I'm close to the pussy Even closer to the knowledge Dropped out of college in advance They hit the ground Running like a sense In my pants Honey Pop was a bummer clot And had a queen be mummy uh, I love a titty tissue Disrespect my blood And it's an issue